Welcome to Marking Jackson's History, an in-depth look at the Jackson area's historical landmarkers, one site at a time. Marking Jackson's History is a production of McKibben Media Group, along with help from the Jackson County Historical Society. Once again this week, we're joined by one of the members of the Jackson County Historical Society, a Jackson historian and author, Linda Haas. She has spent countless hours researching what many had told her was a dead end. Our discussion this week involves the historical marker that can be found at Bucky Harris Park in downtown Jackson. The founders of Jackson wanted to have a commercial center that could be accessed in a one-stop shop. People didn't have cars to get anywhere you want to go. If you've you know traveled for miles as a farmer in your wagon to, to either go to a blacksmith shop or to get some um, uh, dry goods, it's most convenient if you can have everything in one location, a one-stop shop, if you will. So when they platted Jackson, they platted um, an area in what they anticipated would be the heart of the town, which they called Public Square. And since Jackson was called Jacksonburg at that time, it was called Jacksonburg Public Square. That's where most of the commercial businesses were. And um, it was quite a bustling little business district in the mid to late 1800s. And now Bucky Harris Park is located at Michigan and uh – Jackson. And Jackson Street, exactly. It, originally, it was all four quadrants of the intersection. Um, today, three of those quadrants are occupied with businesses, but the fourth, the northeast quadrant, is Bucky Harris Park, and that is open as a park, so it is available um, for this historical designation. It actually represents the whole square. It, it it references the whole square, but it is, in reality, just the northwestern part of it. The Bucky Harris Park, or Jacksonburg Public Square, has a significance when it comes to the area newspapers. How, do, how does that tie in? Well, the very first newspaper printed in Jackson was the Jacksonburg Sentinel, and it was printed in 1837. It was founded by William DeLand. And probably that name rings a bell from our previous conversation. William DeLand was an under he was a he was one of the pioneers of Jackson, one of the kind of co-founders of Jackson. Um, he has many claims to fame. One of them was he was a founder of Jackson's first newspaper. Because he was an underground railroad agent, that sentiment rippled through in the editorial content of the paper. Um, the paper was a general newspaper. It talked about a variety of things, but the one existing issue that we have of that paper has an article condemning slavery and saying specifically that a day of retribution is near for those that participate in slavery, which is very clearly an anti-slavery column. And so from its earliest days, we can say that that paper had that anti-slavery bias, Jackson's first paper. And it was founded in that Northwest Quadrant which is today Bucky Harris Park. So it was founded by an Underground Railroad agent. The content of the paper reflected anti-slavery. Those are two important connections. But the next paper is particularly distinctive because it was um, a paper founded by Reverend William Sullivan, and it was called The American Freeman. This paper was exclusively devoted to anti-slavery. No other topic. It was a one-topic paper. And it is significant. 
because it was the first such newspaper in the state of Michigan. So this is not just a citywide first. This is a statewide first. Interesting side note. There was another city, um, Ann Arbor, at one time that claimed to have the first anti-slavery newspaper in the state of Michigan. But um, historical research is really clear, and the date in Jackson's paper predates Ann Arbor's by several years. And the historical society um, concurred with that. So Jackson now has the distinction of being the birthplace of the first anti-slavery newspaper in the state of Michigan. Um, that paper lasted for a couple of years, and then the paper that followed was the Michigan Freeman, founded by Seymour Treadwell. And both Seymour Treadwell and William Sullivan were also Underground Railroad agents, so you, you see a theme here. <laughs> and then the fourth paper, um, anti-slavery paper, was the American Citizen, uh, founded by Charles DeLand. And it was supposed to be a general newspaper, but the editorials in this paper were more passionately anti-slavery than than all the other three combined. I mean, this guy just held nothing back. <laughs> so th those are the connections. The founders, Underground Railroad agents, the papers, anti-slavery, all in that Northwest Quadrant. So these papers, as far as the dates of their existence, obviously being anti-slavery, they predated the Emancipation Proclamation. Yep, they they all did. All four of them did. What were the dates of uh, operation of the three of them? I don't mm -hmm. need specific sure. dates. But. Sure. Um, 1837, Jacksonburg Sentinel. 1839, American Freeman. 1839-40, Michigan Freeman. 1849, American Citizen. What was the distribution The um, Charles DeLand, who was the newspaper carrier for Jackson's First paper, the Jacksonburg Sentinel, said he was obliged to personally walk the distance of the village, personally handing out these newspapers. And he said, kind of lamenting in his memoirs, and the homes were connect the homes were at a great distance from one another, alas. <laughs> so it was kind of hard on him as a, as a lad. But then as the postal system became more um, robust, uh, they were they were mailed. How often were they published? Jacksonburg Sentinel was supposed to be weekly. Um, after two, three years, it did have some financial hardship and cease. Um, the two exclusively anti-slavery newspapers, American Freeman and Michigan Freeman, were supposed to be weekly, but because it was so expensive, they ended up being sporadic. And maybe um, American Freeman, maybe there's four issues that got printed. Michigan Freeman lasted a little longer, but it was it was whenever they could generate the money. Basically, um, American Citizen was weekly, and then it got to be daily as time went on. So we had the American Citizen published in Jackson. Yep. That was anti-slavery. Yes. Meantime, there was the... <laughs> oh, the Jackson Patriot, which was pro-slavery, and it was edited by a man named um, Wilbur Story, and his motto was to print news and make hell. That was his literal motto. And um, he he and DeLand had a falling out, and they just took the opposite sides of almost every coin. And um, I guess Story's position was um, that slavery wasn't worth going to war over. There, there was no justification for civil war over it. 
And then he would always print these columns from these southern newspapers that say how wonderful slavery was, and he would reprint them as a way of um, showing folks, I guess, the other side of the coin. And as, frankly, it's hard to read them. But, I mean, there were, there were two different opinions in Jackson at that time. But you look at those two names of the publications. What were they again? Um, the Jackson um, Patriot and the American Citizen. Eventually down the road. They merged into the Citizen Patriot. Yep. Um, I would say of the two, the American Citizen, which was the anti-slavery, uh, prevailed. And the other one had um, kind of faded over time and had different owners and then um, eventually merged. And um, there was the, the pro-slavery sentiment had – there was no remnant of it. You, you alluded to the one copy of Dillon's publication that you were able to come by. One copy. You have the Jacksonburg Sentinel. It's in the um, Ella Sharp Museum archives. And I'm so grateful for that, for that one existing copy um, because it gives a snapshot of what Jackson was like in 1837 in all ways. Um, it's just like looking, looking through a portal back into time, the immediacy of it. You know, they talk about things that happened yesterday, and it's so fresh. Um, we talk about the hardships of these anti-slavery newspaper publishers. Their, their, their risks were also considerable because, as I said, there was mixed sentiments in Jackson at that time. Um, when Reverend Sullivan published his American Freeman um, townsfolk were some townsfolk were so riled about who they what they considered agitation that when he was giving a talk, um, some critics of his um, rushed him, uh, mobbed him. He wrote and tried to beat him, and there were some that tried to hang him. There was a noose that was brought out. Um, they wanted to end this kind of agitation. They people were kind of fearing we were heading toward the civil war, so uh, he escaped. But he, he basically escaped a lynching. Um, when you get to Charles DeLand, who was, who was editor of the American Citizen, his newspaper office was, he said, firebombed. Um, it, it burned. Um, and he regrouped, regathered his next um, newspaper. You asked how many pages. The next newspaper was just two pages because he was working with limited capacity. He said, I sit here in my – he wrote a column. I'm sitting in my office – looking at the smoldering fonts of um, – that was the, the metal um, forms that they printed it with and, 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 and the charred walls and all my destroyed paper and ink, but I'm you know barely managing to get this out to you, this two-page spread. And by the way, my walls are all burned and the wind is whistling through here, so it's necessary for me to wear a coat as I'm working. And his office – he regrouped and his office was burned a second time. So there was another hiatus in publishing, and then he – but this is a man that takes a licking and keeps on ticking because when his paper came out a third time, his column to the audience said, and I write to you now from my fireproof brick building. <laughs> I love it. So – and from that point on, there was no more fires. What made that so dangerous? Michigan at that time was yeah. a quote-unquote free state. Yeah. Why was it so dangerous to spread the information that they were? I think people were increasingly afraid of a civil war. 
They were afraid, mothers were afraid of losing their sons, you know, sisters afraid of losing their brothers. Um, just the, the fear of the bloodshed that might result from it. So the papers that were agitating for um, anti-slavery in a very rebellious and very vociferous way um, were a threat to, to peace-loving people and to mothers that didn't want to sacrifice their sons for the bloodshed that they knew was coming. And these newspapers were, were, were prodding uh, towards this agitation, which we now know really had, had to come to fruition in order to settle this matter for once and all. But it was at a great cost. Welcome back to Marking Jackson's History, an in-depth look at the Jackson area's historical landmarkers, one site at a time. How is it that we're able to tie these newspaper publications, media, into the Underground Railroad? Okay. They were produced by Underground Railroad agents. They promoted the Underground Railroad and how the, did they go about? And, and oh, that's a good question. How did they go about promoting the Underground Railroad, this mm -hmm. secret network? Yeah. How did they promote it? Well, I'm going to back up and say that that um, Frederick Douglass, the, the the very famous abolitionist, said, I, "I caution you who are participating in the Underground Railroad: don't make it the Upper Ground Railroad. Don't publicize it. We've got to keep this secret." But there were some editors that were so passionate about this topic that, I mean, holding it in would be like trying to hold an explosion in. You're just going to implode. And it did seep out. And specifically, in answer to your question, an April issue of the American Citizen in 1854 was headlined, The Underground Railroad. I can't believe I found this clip from 1854. And then it went on to talk about how um, Jackson residents assisted a group of freedom seekers that came by, he said, the day before yesterday, so the immediacy of this article is just uh, so fresh, assisted 15, 15 freedom seekers that came by from, and he said, Missouri, Virginia, but mostly from Kentucky. And he said, um, and the day before that, 12 more came through. So so this is, and, and then he went on to talk about how um, this was a good thing and that it was being debated in Congress right now, and how the people that were, were debating for slavery didn't know what they were talking about. So here we have an article that's promoting the Underground Railroad and giving it publicity, in referencing it in a very positive way, and showing the positive good that comes from it. Um, and just everything about the article is like a promotional for it. So that's a very specific answer. Other, in other ways, there were columns that argued against slavery very persuasively. Were you ever able to find any evidence of ciphers or hidden messages? Uh, yeah. In one of the diaries, um, an Underground Railroad activist refers to people only by their last name, Mr. B or Mr. C. And so that would maybe be one kind of secretive way of referring to people without giving them away completely. People, when they think about the Underground Railroad, it's such a, a concept that is it's so foreign to them that there is an individual or a network of individuals that would take 
12 people that came from different states and these freedom seekers all met these one into these one or two individuals that would take them on a 15 mile journey and then drop them off to somebody else and then another 15 mm-hmm. or so mile journey and drop them off and they would meet uh, mm-hmm. new new freedom seekers as mm-hmm. they go and at first blush it's it's very foreign to us mm-hmm. but in reality we have very similar situations that are happening at borders internationally throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many ways to answer that question. Um, I will say that those that participated in it um, in the 1800s didn't always know the extent of the wider network, and that was a precaution to prevent others that were connected to it along the line. So if you were caught, you couldn't necessarily snare necessarily spill the beans on everybody else. Um, There were a few individuals who had an idea of the wider scope, but the average person that was participating in it didn't always know that wider scope. They just know their little piece of the puzzle. And then afterwards, when they were able to gather with other people, um, they were able to kind of put it all together. But there are some important distinctions. There are some parallels and some distinctions with what's going on in the border today. Um, and, and certainly some of the parallels are you have um, a group of people that is migrating from one area to another in secrecy. But but there's also some very important distinctions um, that I make in regard to slavery in particular. Uh, you have to remember that the, the people that I'm talking about were actually um, slaves under a legal system that classified them legally, constitutionally as slaves. That makes them distinct from um, other other situations. Um, these people had um, the slaves, we're talking about enslaved Americans, had no access to medical care within their within their system, none, zero. Um, I think that doesn't pertain today. They had no access to education, and in fact, anybody that tried to educate them could be um, jailed. They could be jailed, or they could be killed if they were in a southern state um, and, and there was... Um, official efforts to educate them at that time, and the state prohibited it, there, there could be huge fines involved. I think today, you know, we have a whole different attitude regarding education. So I guess the point of what I'm saying today is while there are parallels, um, there's, there's really almost nothing that compares to slavery. Slavery in itself was such a hideous evil that when you try to compare it to something else, um, you diminish the um, just the evil that it really was. When people go to Bucky Harris Park and they read uh, the historical marker, what is it you'd like for them to learn and what kind of thirst would you like them to walk away with? I would like them to be inspired by um, individuals that overcame differences obstacles, incredible challenges for a greater good, and to know that that is still possible today, that that message is no less relevant to us today, because every generation has new new obstacles, different obstacles, but the thing that remains the same is the perseverance to overcome them. And here's some p- examples of people that did so in very heroic ways ways that made you know a positive difference. So I would like them to know that it's possible, that there are other people that they can look to for inspiration. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, imaginary people or cartoon figures or Marvel characters that are just 
wonderful and interesting, but made up. These were real people that overcame real challenges. And just to get whatever inspiration you can from that, um, maybe to appreciate the, um, the impact of the media, um, because these newspapers did set an agenda for folks. It, it, it presented topics for them to consider. And I believe probably, um, helped to perpetuate an anti-slavery, um, attitude among their readers. So, so if you use your platform for this kind of a good, you have the potential to impact an audience positively. I think that's another message that, that can get across, um, when they read these markers about these abolition editors. Linda, you've written two books that have to do with the Underground Railroad. Where can I find them? The best place to find the books is the book cottage. And I I say that they can be ordered online. But honestly, our businesses have taken such – our local businesses have taken such a hit um, during the pandemic that if you you want to help support a local business um, and and you don't want to pay shipping and handling fees and do yourself a favor – Go to the Book Cottage, which is on Spring Arbor Road. Uh, they do have signed copies of the book. It's a, it's a good way of supporting a local business as well as um, taking a dive uh, into this aspect of history through these books. And what are the names of those books? Um, Michigan's Crossroads to Freedom, The Underground Railroad in Jackson. This book looks gives an overall view of Jackson's participation in the Underground Railroad, and it was written to – Make the case, basically, to provide the overall evidence to answer the question, did Jackson participate, did it not? The answer is a resounding yes. This book is evidence for that answer. The second book is um, Hidden in Plain Sight, the Underground Railroad in Jackson, Michigan. And it takes a deep dive into the human interest stories of the people, not a broad overview, but what were who were the individuals that participated? What were their lives like? What were some of their trials and tribulations? What were some of the hiding places that they used? What were some of their near escapes? Uh, what were some of the um, maybe sad stories that even happened to them? So it looks it's more human interest driven. And those books available at the book cottage. They are both now available. Spring Arbor, Michigan. Uh, uh, yep, on Spring Arbor Road. I wish I knew the address. I'm not going to say it because I might get it wrong, but it's in the old by swingers, uh, basically building for Jackson. Jackson folks would know where that is. Um, so it's a it's a wonderful mom and pop store. I have a third book, um, the hidden history of Jackson County, that also references chapters um, chapters that reference the Underground Railroad, and that's there as well. This has been marking Jackson's history, an in-depth look at the Jackson area's historical landmarkers. For more information and bonus content on this week's episode, visit WKHM.com. The Marking Jackson's History podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Marking Jackson's History is a production of McKibben Media Group.